Visit the Ford Fan Zone on Level 6 at the next Utah Jazz game where there are free Papa Shot games, cornhole, and foosball tables. Enjoy incredible city and mountain views while relaxing, enjoying food and drink, taking in the game, and socializing with friends. Time to bring in Hans Olsen. I thought it was Riley Jensen. No. I don't know where you got that idea. <laughs> Hans joins us now. You're from noon to three with Scotty G. This time of year, he roams the globe. <laughs> broadcasting college football games on the radio, the network broadcasts. Hans, are you still in Utah or are you off to Shreveport or other places? Tomorrow morning, off to Shreveport. Can't wait. It's going to be a fun one. I, I mean, I don't think the game's going to be very close, but I'm excited to get out there. I, I do love calling these games. It's it's fun, and I've had a chance to call BYU on on the national broadcast a couple of times, so it's it's always exciting. It gives me a chance to to send a more broad voice out there for BYU and Kalani, and and it also gives me a chance to call these games. I do. I love calling it. It's just it's it's a lot of work. It's a lot more work than I would have thought to be a, a good color analyst. Yeah, I mean, I, that's why I thought it would be cool to get you on before you go to let folks know that you're doing them. And I know you've done them in the past and you'll do them in the future, but you're right. The reason why I thought you'd be an expert to have on is because you we, we already know BYU. We do deep dives on them a thousand times over. But you, in order to be prepared and keep your job and sound uh, the way you want to, you have to do deep dives on the opponents, which means you've got to know UAB inside and out. Yeah. And and I'm sure you've you've already that's an ongoing process here that you know and it takes countless hours to get to that point. So when you have done your studies of these guys, what are you thinking? I'm thinking the BYU should beat them pretty soundly. Uh, I, I think that they pose a couple of problems. They've got a pretty decent pass rush. They can get some one-on-one rush. So. I, I don't know if we're going to see Barrington out on the outside. I don't know if it's going to be Kime. I, I, my guess is Kime will probably start. I don't know if you've heard anything on that, PK, but those outside guys, both Freeland and Kime or Barrington on the tackle positions are going to be key in this game for BYU to get the, the, the size victory that I know that they want to get because there is some really good one-on-one pass rushing that goes on. The other thing that they've got, they've actually got the nation's leader in yards per catch. Yeah, the Shropshire, tight end. Uh, no, uh, Shropshire is the wideout. The tight end is the second leading receiver on that team, and he, he's good. He's really good. Uh, but they've got this wideout that just runs deep, PK, and he just he gets over the top. I, I don't know how he does it. And, and it's not that he's got thousands of yards. He's he's like 680 yards on right, the year. Right. But it's over 27 yards per catch. And if he typically, if he's catching a ball, he's going for a touchdown. So BYU is going to have to be prepared and just make sure that they stay over the top on that. That tight end that you talked about, PK. Yeah, I think he's last, averaging like, like twenty yards of reception, isn't he? Yeah, he's he's up there as well. Uh, twenty, yeah, he's like twenty two, twenty four, and uh, he he's really come on in like the last four games. Is 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 where he's really come from, and he's he's become a big time deep threat as well. He, this quarterback, he's not much different than Logan Bonner. He's uh, maybe slightly more athletic, but he has the same type mindset as Logan Bonner. Um, he's got his release is just a little bit slower. He, he's not quite as snappy. Logan Bonner gets the ball out of his hands pretty quick. This guy will delay just a. Just a touch. So BYU should have an opportunity to try to get that rush on him. 
he he doesn't look to run, but he can. He will run, but he just doesn't look to run. They they run some zone read look option attack, but he really likes to give. He doesn't like to keep. Typically, when he does keep, defenses aren't ready for it. So he does get some yards. So you got to keep an eye on him. But when I look at the talent that BYU is about to face, and and by the way, I spent most of my time watching the. Alabama-Birmingham-UTSA game. But when I watch the talent, it, it really shows to me that BYU should have a, a very solid, dominant win over Alabama-Birmingham. Okay, solid I can buy off on. Blowout I have a little problem visualizing just because BYU didn't really blow people out this year. They won comfortably. Uh, A-Rod has certainly opened it up more than he did in his days at Utah, but there's still some of that logic to his uh, the way he thinks about football. You know, when you get up by two scores, you're not trying to win by four scores. You're shortening that game and getting out of dodge. Yeah. And so... I, I can see comfortable. I mean, Utah State, I never thought they were going to lose the Utah State game, but they only won by 14. It's not yeah. like they were out there blowing people out by 30. But having said that, you know, I can hear A-Rod now, well, we don't have to win by 30. We were up by two or three scores, and we got to the end of the game and got out of there. So, DJ, I guess the way I would define a blowout for BYU and what I'm expecting mm-hmm. is control the clock. Yeah. As you're running, um, Algier needs to get to like 114 or 115 yards to become – the sixth all-time on uh, on career rushing for BYU. I think it's 114 yards in this game. And I, my guess is he gets somewhere around that 115 mark. He controls the ball. I, that's how I want it to be, at least. I, I want them to kind of show some strength and dominance. So they'll control. They'll always have a, a kind of a lead. And I'm saying a 17-point-plus win type, type of game. Um, where Algier really controls, you know, to your point, DJ, I, I do think that Aaron Roderick, he, he loves to be fancy and he likes to put on a show for the fans. Uh, yeah, I want, I hope people out there understand that Aaron Roderick, he, he comes from that mindset of, Hey, let, let's be entertaining. Let's have some fun, but let's be productive, but let's put on a show for the people. He, he knows how much BYU fans love what Lavelle did, and, and, you know, you see all the people that Lavelle brought to the yard when his offenses were high-flying. I, I do think that Aaron Roderick has this desire to to build that type of an offense that's fun to watch. So he's going to want to put it in the air. He's going to want to have some big scores. But I'm, I'm hoping that he doesn't get too far away from the dominance of the ground game, letting Algier go get 115, have a 36, 37-minute time of possession, control the game, and, and my consideration of 17 points in a game controlled would be a blowout. For comparison's sake, to get a better feel of the talent level of UAB, if they were to play BYU's schedule that they had this past season as far as the what the seven uh, Power Fives and then the uh, put uh, Utah State Boise in there, so I've got nine games basically, does UAB beat? Does UAB beat any of those nine teams? Oh, um, yeah they 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 probably you know my guess maybe is Arizona a, yeah a, sure. a five and four or a four and five situation. Um, the, the the game I spent the most time with was that UTSA game, and, and I don't know if you guys remember watching that just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, UTSA. It, 
Alabama Birmingham had a, a like a six or five point lead. Yeah, right, like right at the end. Six yeah. seconds left, and UTSA fumbled a snap, and the quarterback right. scooped it off the ground and just kind of lobbed it. Yeah, over the top to that tight end that you were talking about, PK, and he caught it, and they they won. So they were really close with an undefeated Texas San Antonio team at that point. Other than that, you got that Georgia game. Georgia just destroyed them. So my only sample size is they stayed okay close with UTSA, blown out by Georgia. Every other team they've played, I think, has been pretty mediocre to less than mediocre. My guess is it would have been like a, a five and four and four and five. I will tell you though, and I don't know how much you guys know about this head coach, at Alabama Birmingham. This Alabama Birmingham team. They are the winningest team in Conference USA since 2017. This coach came in and took over in 2014. And he took over like a two-win team. And since 2017, he's gotten Alabama-Birmingham rolling. They're actually a more winning team than Texas-San Antonio uh, since 2017. And, you know, he got a, a National Coach of the Year uh, awards in 2018. So he's a good mind. And when I watch his teams – like, uh, for, like for instance, I watched um, Middle Tennessee State, and I'm just embarrassed for for the staff and the sloppiness. I mean, down to the basic techniques and the schemes, it's horrifying. I watch Alabama Birmingham, and I'm like, all right, that's a that's a, a program that I would put my son in. That's a program that I would want to play in. That's a it's a very sound program. Um, they they do make some sloppy mistakes at times, but the scheme is sound, and when they're when they're obedient to their techniques, it's sound. I can tell that they're well coached. So with UAB, well, I guess this actually has to start with BYU. How healthy will BYU be on on both the offensive and defensive line? And do you think that they're going to wear UAB down on either side of the ball or both sides of the ball and really be controlling that game in the second half? Just on the offensive side of the ball. I do, I do worry a little bit on the defensive side of the ball. Um, it's been it's been crazy watching them go through guys like Wilgar and watching them go through guys like Chaz Ayu, and you know we've seen some of their best players, Keenan and others, go down in this season. It's been so frustrating. So my guess is they come in. Um, I, I I expect a couple of guys to be out there. I expect Maher Mariner. I'm I'm hoping to see guys like Summers, and, and I know that he's been dealing with injury all year, but I don't have as much expectation. I, and I, I know that Alabama-Birmingham is better on the defensive side of the ball. They're the 11th best defense in the country as, as far as yardage is concerned. They're, they're good. Uh, and That's in the run game. Um, they're 11th best. I think they're 17th overall. But but I think that this is a different style offense that they're going to face, and it's a different style front that they're going to face. And when I watch what BYU did, I, I do I do expect that offensive front to be healthy. I watched what Utah did, sorry, BYU did to Utah's defensive front, and I just don't see Alabama-Birmingham really being able to hang in there. I, I would imagine that their defensive scheme is going to try to throw a lot at the gaps and uh, which they didn't do against Texas San Antonio. They rushed three, probably 30%, rushed four, maybe another 30 40%, and then brought some blitzes and some different schemes. But I expect 
BYU on the offensive side to really be able to grind them and wear them down. And then on the defensive side, I just don't think Alabama Birmingham is inept enough to to really push around a defense that that might bend a little bit. Want to hit you up about Urban Meyer? You know about him. You know his coaching style. You played at college. Now you played for somebody who might have been the polar opposite of, uh, <laughs> of uh, Urban Meyer. So I don't know that you can speak to that at college and how would how you would have worked. But obviously you played in the pros. And what did you think would happen with Urban? And are you surprised about what did happen? I'm not surprised. I am surprised that it went this fast. And I, I haven't had a chance to listen to you guys. I, I wasn't sure if, if you felt the same. I was surprised that it was 13 games. Sure. I, I wasn't surprised that he was fired from the NFL. I, I think some of the some of the personal stuff that got out with him grinding on some girl and all the, the nastiness of that. And, you know, he tries to hold his team, at least the guys that I talked to that he's coached, he always tries to hold them to a high standard and all these expectations. And when when something like that comes out, you're looked at as a liar. And and players lose respect for you. They, they really do. I mean, people out there might be laughing about that, but if you got a coach that's preaching toughness and preaching off, off-field behavior and he goes out and acts like a wimp or he goes out and gets a, a DUI and is found with some girl that isn't his wife, it, it really does take the edge off of that coach, it, you know. That I, I don't, I don't want to listen to you anymore. I, I, if you're going to sit there and preach to me, but you're not, you're not going to follow your own advice. How am I supposed to look at you? Um, I, I think that he probably lost a lot of respect from his guys. I, I also know that at that level, you know, when you're dealing with guys like Peyton Manning and Reggie Wayne and. Edron James, Marvin Harrison, and Jeff Saturday. There's only so much you can do in intimidation. And I know that in the past, Urban has coached with intimidation. Intimidation doesn't work at that level. I played my, my rookie year when I came out with the Colts. Ellis Johnson was the veteran defensive lineman. And he used to use the term grown-ass man all the time. And he would say it to everybody just to let them know, look, I'm not a kid. I'm not a college kid. This isn't just a game. This is my business. It's a job to me. I am the CEO of it. And and it's just a different feel. It's not, it's not like anything I can really put into words. It's just guys run their business different. And I didn't, I, I really didn't feel like Urban Meyer's intimidation and his tactics at the college level from the guys that I talked to when he coached at University of Utah, I just didn't feel like it was going to work at the NFL level. Yeah, my mother used that term with me all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Did you snap into shape? Oh, yeah, yeah, from like eight years old. (laughs) Yeah, it's uh, of all the mistakes Urban made and the yelling at assistant coaches, the kicking the kicker. The uh, punning the punter, right? The salacious, (laughs) salacious details, married guy, younger woman, all that. Thing I heard on uh, I don't know whatever roundtable call it football show was that made me convinced midway through this year that he was doomed and it was just the date was I heard ex players go off on him because he stayed behind in Ohio. Now that's where the stuff you know all comes out about you know the, the other woman and all that stuff but what they were upset about was 
every coach they'd ever had got on that plane and suffered in silence because a plane, a long plane flight after a loss, and and the players are hurting, and the assistant coaches are going right back to start breaking down film and grind for the next game. The fact he wasn't on that plane. Loads of credibility right out the window. Not getting on the plane was a very big deal to those ex-players. Yeah, yeah, it's that's all part of that standard I was talking about. You preach one thing and then you do another thing. You lose the room. You can't do that. Now, if you've got your star quarterback or a, a center or even some scrub like I was that's not on that plane, and you think the head coach is going to be okay with that? No, it's. You know, unless there's something really set in stone, but for the most part, you're on that team plane. And I could see how that would really rub players the wrong way, especially with what came out the following week of where and what he was doing. But, yeah, just the fact that he's not with the team was, was, I think, against the grain enough to really lose a lot of that team. With what went on with the announcement with Kalani and more about Tom talking about the money into the program, yeah, can and then going in the Big Twelve, is it fair to say this is a new era, new day for BYU football? I think so. I, I do. I really think it is. I think that they're building. Um, I have zero inclination of dollar amounts. Those numbers are really private. You can't get to them. Um, I, I have talked to some of the, the old staff that left for Virginia, and and I was able to put together some idea of some numbers. But my guess is that this number, whatever BYU extended to Kalani, it's got to be somewhere around two and a half, three times what he was making, would, would be my guess with the um, unprecedented number and him signing and – all the things that we've kind of seen unfold, I feel like they put a number in front of him that was as flashy, if not more flashy, than maybe even what he had expected, maybe, possibly. Um, I don't know if, if, if it was more than he'd hoped, but um, the way Tom Homo was talking in that press conference and the way Kalani was talking in that press conference makes me believe that that number was significantly more than than what it was. So in that alone, PK, I think that's a change that you and I and DJ and, and Jake back there haven't seen. Um, we were all aware when we were playing for Lavelle that he was grossly underpaid. We all knew it. Um, but he was so well-beloved and, and so well-taken care of, we, we all felt like he was a rock star. But we also knew that he could certainly be paid more. Same with our position coaches. But this, to me, I, it feels like it was a, a groundbreaking move and contract that opens up the door for even possibly even more growth when it when it comes to paying staffs and, and keeping staffs around it. Because... I can't express the importance of Kalani keeping on this path of winning now that they've extended this contract. I, I don't want them to have a, a down year of two or three wins and then everybody like shrivel up and, oh, no, now we're on the hook. Oh, boy, we, we made a bad decision. I think it's important that he returns that faith to them and, and they, in their mind, think, okay, well, we'll pay him more and we'll pay him more. Because, you know, if he does what he's doing – 
in two years, there's another one of these coming. It's just how it works. So, uh, and Tom did say we will adapt if we need to adapt. We will adapt. So yeah. he did leave that door wide open. Um, if you're into this kind of thing about the numbers and what Lavelle made and what Lavelle was offered by other people that he didn't take, we had Rondo Felberg on, and he got very detailed and specific about the 90s. He had multiple stories. We had him on yesterday. So wherever you get your podcasts, uh, Google Play, Spotify, whatever, iTunes, on down the list, listen to that. While you're traveling, I guarantee you, Hands, you want to hear what Rondo said. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, he throws out Lavelle, Miami, and a number. <laughs> Whoa! Yeah. Um, but I think the thing, uh, and PK and I both did this after we heard the press conference, and Tom said, we looked at what other teams the Big 12 are doing, and he said, we looked at the Pac-12 and some other schools. Well, I'm sure you'd look at Utah because you're going to have to compete with them, and you probably have some access through Bronco. Maybe you can get a little background there, right? So there are other places they can go and, and get some of these numbers. And if you set Oklahoma and Texas salaries aside, because they're going to the SEC, so BYU is not going to be competing with them for very long, if at all, in the Big 12. And if you look at the 12 schools that will be the Big 12 in 2026, you can't get the numbers for Baylor and BYU because they're private schools. But you look mm-hmm. at the other 10 coaches, the fifth best paid coach, Luke Fickle, Cincinnati, $3.4 million. If BYU is giving Kalani that that's still 50% less than what Kyle is getting at the U. So it almost (laughs) seems to me that's the neighborhood BYU has to have moved into. And I know those numbers, you can fudge them because you can build in um, bonuses that are easy or harder to hit. So you know your base, but you also know if a bonus is likely or not. Yeah, I think that I think DJ. I think it it sure seems like you're on the right trail. Like that that is the exact trail that that I would have definitely followed as far as okay, where is the conference? Where are the coaches Mm -hmm. in the conference? You know, what level do we need to get him to as far as conference coaching pay? Maybe with the the promise of an opportunity of bigger and better times when Big Twelve money kicks in, Mm -hmm. and you know. Being able to usher that team uh, an extension of longevity, you know, I, I know that money is a lot to a lot of people, but I think that Kalani's got plenty of it at this point. I think Kalani really wants to feel loved. He, he wants to feel wanted, and uh, taking him to twenty twenty seven, I think, does a better job of that than a simple two year extension that took him to twenty twenty five. So I think that that is a, a nice show of faith, and I think you're on the the, the right path with that. DJ, I, I don't know where I'd put him in the in the list of highest paid coaches in the Big Twelve. I certainly wouldn't put it in the top five. I I don't think I'd put it in the bottom five. Um, but I think that BYU is doing everything they can to to try to push forward with the growth of this program and and the the, uh, the fortitude of it, knowing what they're about to head into in in a season after after one more season. Anything on recruiting day catch your eye or was it uh, pretty normal? Are there any athletes out there you think, wow, that's a huge get? <laughs> uh, not really. Okay. No, I think that having Kingsley come back from Oregon, you know, if, if, Kingsley, if Kingsley stays on the path that he was on in high school, I do think that I don't know if he gets to Penny Sewell's level of hype but he's got all the body types and strength 
and anger that Penny plays with. And I've seen the level of play from him that would be equal to that of Penny's at that age. So I've got high hopes for him to be a big-time player for BYU after he's now transferred back from Oregon. And we'll see where – you know how it is. It all comes down to who you are, how you work, what your mindset is. So um, those are things that I can only predict based off of what I saw in high school. I'm excited for that. Um, I think that all three schools knocked it out of the park. I think all of them did great as far as going out and trying to get the talent that they wanted. It was nice to see BYU get Ice Moa. Um, I'm very close friends with the family, and I watched that kid grow up. I know that he's going to be a star. His brother's at Utah State. Speaking of Utah State, they got two offensive linemen out of the state that are fantastic uh, Teague Anderson, I think, is going to be a great addition. And I think Teague Anderson, it, he's hes a body type and style that he could go in and win a start in his freshman year, if not his sophomore year. Um, and uh, and I'm, I'm just excited. I think that the talent in the state of Utah, I don't know if you guys heard us talking yesterday, but Steve Tate had tweeted out that there were five Division One scholarships given out the year he signed and, you know, we're well over 30 here in the state. So I'm happy to see this state really growing in, in depth in football. Hands, we appreciate it. Thanks a lot. You bet, guys. Have a good day. Hans Olsen getting ready to call some bowl games on national radio broadcasts over the holidays. And it'll start with BYU and the Independence Bowl on Saturday. Cool. DJ and PK, what'd you miss in this show? What do you need to know? We will get to all of that next. The Jazz, the uh, NBA, the overtime thriller, and a uh, big football game tonight. We talked with Lincoln Kennedy about that earlier in the show. We'll get to that next. Stay with us. This is Hanson Scotty. Let's do it. The athletic director at the University of Utah, Mark Harling. I'm curious what the difference in financial impact a Rose Bowl is as compared to like an Armed Forces Bowl. Here's what I know to be true. It's not extra millions falling into the athletic department in that way, but it's broader a, a lift to the entire university. That makes it such a special thing. I mean, on January 1, there'll be more people focused in on the brand of Utah, you know, maybe outside of the Final Four years ago um, on that day. And it's hard to put a value number on that, but uh, we're just most excited about all the energy surrounding the University of Utah. I mean, I think, guys, when this thing is said and done, we may have 60,000-plus fans based on some of the data I was looking at. We're going to be unbelievable in our representation of the game, and that's just so exciting. What kind of a show is this? Catch Hans Olsen and Scotty G every day from noon to 3 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Powered by kslsports.com. Josh Lambeau. His story about Urban. Time to get you up to speed on everything we've been talking about over the course of this show, and it is brought to you by Lee's Heating and Air, home to the award-winning line of American Standard Furnaces and Air Conditioners. Call Lee's now for their $59 furnace tune-up special or visit them online at leesheatac.com. What's that kicker's name? Josh Lambeau. Well, man, he said, don't you kick me again or else I'm going to do my own version of the Lambeau Leap. Yeah? What are you going to do about it? I'm the head ball coach. I'll kick you whenever the bleep I want. Josh Lambeau, fourth most accurate kicker. So now you can speak to this because you've been kicked by a supervisor. 
Nope, I was not kicked. He drew his <laughs> leg back to kick me, but he did not extend it forward. Oh, I didn't. No. Oh, no. man, I always thought there was, was contact. It was right there. It was right there. No. Oh, he wanted to. He was, and then he stopped. You know, after all this, Scotty, can you believe this? He after all it. this hubbub, there was actually no contact? I thought a kick was made. I don't know why you thought that, because you were in the room. You I know, about, but I can't see. I got the computer right in front of me. Feet. Well, his leg isn't 14 feet long, for starters. So. Yeah, but the, the whole thing, I sit low. I mean, uh, come on, man. I, I, all this time, I thought he kicked you. I thought nope. you were a victim. Nope. Oh. He wanted to, but he didn't. But he yet stopped. you played the victim. When necessary. <laughs> Let's see if Scotty's listening. A text in three, two, two one. <laughs> <laughs> Scotty's not listening. There's a game last night. <laughs> He's got to go to Southern California himself. Urban Meyer out in 13 games. Lincoln Kennedy surprised it was this fast. I'm surprised. Not surprised I'm it didn't shocked. work. I, I think everybody is. There was nobody. I don't remember anyone saying he won't even make it through year one. There were plenty of people who didn't think it would work, but I think they were thinking, oh, he's gone after two years, or they'll get him late in the second year, or maybe early in the third, something like that. But to not even get through 16 football, 17 football games now. He didn't get through the old season, let alone the new season. Gone from 16 yeah, he to got 17. through the old season. The old, old season. No, when it, back when it was a 12-game season yeah, in the yeah, 50s. Yeah, yeah. I think it was a little later now, wasn't it? Well, I don't know. I don't know when they went to 14. Uh, I thought they the Dolphins were like 12-0. and 0. No, they were 14-0. Oh, and they were 14? And three playoff games was 17-0. and 0. Okay. So after the AFL-NFL merger, it was definitely a 14-game season. And I think it was 14 before that, but I don't know at what point they went oh. to it. I don't know. I can look it up in the next break if I can remember that long. They did 16 for about 40 years, a little more than 40 years, before they added 17 this year. All right, so other stuff we talked about. Huge football game tonight in the AFC West. The Chiefs and the Chargers. Chargers are only one game behind the Chiefs. They got a chance to win the division, but they need to win tonight. They lose tonight. The Chiefs will be up two games with three to play, and the AFC West will be over. The Chiefs, not only trying to win the division, but they got a chance to be the one seed in the AFC. Get a bye, play at home at uh, Arrowhead. They're tied right now with the Patriots and the Titans. All three of those teams are 9-4. and four. So plenty to play for for both of these teams tonight. Kansas City on the win streak, you trust them? Yeah. They get it done because they're the Chiefs. Chargers are emerging, though. They're good, but they're not ready for this moment against this team the way they're playing right now. I think they've got some good days ahead of them. I expect them to be a force over the next five years. Uh, they ought to. They'll struggle tonight. If they if they win tonight, they're really set up great because oh, you got no the question. Texans who are terrible on the road, and you got the Raiders on the road who have completely fallen apart. We talked to Lincoln about that. They went into their bye week five and two, feeling great, leading the division, looking like a million bucks. They're one and five since then. How they beat the Cowboys is a mystery. That's their only win since their bye week. Yeah, that's football. Lose your coach and everything falls apart. So it's not a tough stretch for the Chargers here. If they if they beat the Chiefs, then uh, they sweep the season series. They have the tiebreaker and they got a pretty soft schedule. The Broncos at home would be their only semi difficult game. So that's the NFL. Uh, anything else out of Lincoln you want to pass along to the people? Fat bottom girls make the rock and world go round. What? <laughs> Don't remember Lincoln singing. <laughs> Uh, NBA, the Lakers, the Mavericks, overtime. Mavs down three, hit a three to tie. Lakers hit a three to take the lead. Mavs hit another three to tie it, and then the Lakers hit a three to win it. It was a fabulous final minute of overtime. And Austin Reeves, he was fouled. He didn't get the call. He's 
in the NBA terms, a nobody on the road at the end of a game when they like to swallow the whistles, even though it was clearly a foul. But he drained it, so it didn't matter, and they win the game. On the foul call, of all things. The Lakers (laughs) not getting that call they deserved. Who cares about that? You make a big deal He hit the shot, and he won it. Yeah, undrafted free agent, man. That's cool. Team mobbed him. They were thrilled. Oh, yeah, that was fun to see. It was. I mean, I think they did it. If LeBron had hit it, I don't think they go after him near as much. But because everybody knows you're the undrafted free agent. Yeah, yeah. And you were the fifth best player in a Laker jersey on the floor. And the other team's going to make you take the shot and you drained it? Yeah, you're an underdog. Everybody likes the underdog story, right? And he makes right there. that shot. American underdog, Kurt Warner. Oh, it opens Christmas Day. Everybody loves that story, man. The rags to riches type thing, for sure. And so he do, he gets that shot. I love the fact that Westbrook, no hesitation in passing him the ball. And I like what LeBron said afterward. He said, we have confidence in everybody who's out on the floor. And I think that's important because we know Jordan, you know, with the Kerr thing, I'm going to, he's Stockton's going to double me and I'm going to pass it to you and you're going to make it or else I'm going to punch you in the face again. He didn't yeah. say that part, but that was understood. That was implied. Yeah. And so to have that level of confidence, so Westbrook's going to go to the Hall of Fame. No matter what you think of him, he's going to go. Right. And so to think that Westbrook wants to pass you the ball and to think that Vogel puts you out on the floor in that situation ought to give you a ton of confidence. Just that alone that he thinks, because basically if Vogel's putting you out on the floor, that's the same thing as LeBron putting you out on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> so, And I always said the, the most dangerous guy is the one who has no choice. The clock dictates that you must shoot. And there's no hesitation whatsoever. You have to shoot it. And... Now you're not free. You're not saying and guessing yourself. No, you just shoot it. You you're all to. focused on the shot. Yeah, you have to shoot. I used to overthink when I played high school ball, so the coach would like to give the hit and run with me because it took away the doubt. I had the swing. Hmm. The hit and run is something that's like a dinosaur. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know, you're old. Nobody does that anymore, but they used to do it a lot. We used to do it in softball. Uh, I always batted ahead of Tom Hol- uh, Tom Hol- Tom Hofarth. And uh, they'd let you run if the uh, when the pitcher released the ball, but you couldn't steal, so you could be out, right? But I told him, I said, take off your cap and wipe your forehead with your forearm. That's the hit and run. <laughs> <laughs> and so he'd do it. We didn't do it all the time, but he'd do it, and I'd take off, and we would do the hit and run in, in softball. John Morant hurt his knee. Looked bad for the Grizzlies, didn't it? It did. I Atlanta stunned. blew him out that night. That was yeah. Friday, November 26th. Grizzlies have now played 10 games without John Morant, and they have gone 9-1. They ripped off five straight wins, lost to Dallas. Now they've won four in a row. They beat Portland last night, 113-103. to They are fourth in the West. They are seven games over five hundred at 18-11. and I wonder if he's feeling like Ant B. Now let me explain. First off, tell people what show Aunt B is from. Aunt B? Not everybody knows. Aunt B. <laughs> Mayberry RFD. <laughs> I don't know. If it, was it RFD? I don't know if it was RFD. Yeah. It might have just been Mayberry. No. No, it was no. The Annie Griffiths show was not Mayberry or RFD. So you're wrong. Oh, I've confused shows. Yeah. I, okay, you're right. I think you're right. Right. I defer to you. This was before. This was before. Yeah, that was, was probably a spinoff. Yeah, it was Mayberry BFD. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, your point. So Aunt B goes on vacation, and 
she's all worried about Andy and Opie, right? Getting that they'd be able to take care of themselves. Well, they just make a total mess of the place. I think she went out to, uh, what was it, uh, Mount Pelia or something? Mount something or other. The big city. Yeah, yeah. So they just, Andy and Opie just trashed the house. Well, Aunt B's friend comes over and sees that the house is all trashed, and she just spotless cleans it, right? Okay. Well, Andy comes home, and you know, Andy, was he was one wise dude, you know what I mean? I mean, this is a show that you can watch today, anywhere on, on in this country. That show's going to be on, right? TV land. Yeah, anywhere. So Andy comes home and realizes Aunt B's on the way home. She's taking the bus down from Montpelier. And he realizes, no, we got to show how much we miss her. So he calls Opie. I think he gets Opie out of school. Opie rides his bike home. <laughs> they trashed the house. They trashed the house again. <laughs> yes. Because he wanted it to make sure that she knew that they desperately needed Aunt B in their lives. And they, what they, they didn't want Aunt B running around and getting, having a fling with a younger guy. Hey, and, now. And going over to Raleigh. What kind yeah, of storyline right, is that? Right, right. Craig Bullerjack's going to drive down here. Well, it was implied. Because they were worried about it. Because I think she was on Nutrisystem or something. And she's starting to look a lot better, Aunt B. Yeah. We had a couple more things to get to. And you're wasting time on this. <laughs> I've got to finish the story now. The other day I started a story and you didn't like it and I cut it off. So now I've got to finish the story, right? So they were, and, and, and B was starting to buy slinky clothing and all. And you could just see the countenance was changing. Well, they didn't want to lose Aunt B. So they trashed the house. Aunt B comes back and realizes, I'm needed here. So she sets aside all her personal feelings and, and, and emotions and all that. This is where I belong. Well, I'm wondering if the Grizzlies is the same thing. They're winning at an astounding level. The numbers are astounding. And John Moran might feel like, wait a second, am I really needed here? So is this best for the Grizzlies in the long term? Well done the way I brought it together. And you know the the master teachers, they use parables, which I just did. Andy Griffith left the show after eight years. In the ninth year, it was retitled Mayberry RFD. And I'm wasting Ken time. Ken Berry and Buddy Foster came aboard. But before he left. I'm wasting Hold time, on. Yuck. Before he <laughs> Hold left. Hold on. Okay. Before he left, Andy Griffith got Andy DJ. some naturally nude pajamas. You know I love you, bro. But <laughs> I'm literally wasting I just wanted to. I just wanted Come to say on. they got the naturally nude pajamas. Now I'm done. No. And what we know is how sick you are is you wanted to see Andy B in naturally nude pajamas. Well, that's, that's the issue. Issue. After you threw All out right, the whole Nutrisystems thing. <laughs> Anything else we need to recap You're from the show gross. that we actually talked about? I think we are gross. Uh, Joe was on. Give me the, give him the highlight of Joe. You can go find Joe wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Joe is entertaining as always. Your takeaway from the Joe Ingles interview? Yeah, I mean, that, that they know that their weaknesses are uh, transition defense, and he knew specifically we're 28th, and... Uh, that even to the point where they'll have a little film available at halftime to show. And the last thing you want to do is be singled out because you didn't do your job. Because not only are you letting yourself down, you're letting your teammates down, the team, the franchise, the owner, blah, blah, blah. And it's like I said earlier, these jobs, the job that I have, it's so good, I never want to screw it up. Yeah. Well, magnify that by a thousand because of the, they get to play ball and make outrageous amounts of money. So you don't want to screw up. So they're heightening on that and the heightened awareness. And who was it? Uh, the... <laughs> 
the interview that I think it was the interview they did during the third quarter or something uh, about. Uh, well, man, what's it going to take to put these guys away? Quinn looks at who was it? Mark Jackson. What? We're up like twelve, and you got fifteen minutes to go, and you're talking about putting the team away. And he went, "We got to play defense, man. Got to play defense." You know, and and his comments in the post game. It's not exactly one to one, but most of our offensive spurts are triggered by defense. He's just going to hammer that home till we're blue in the face, man. He's right. They score on a lot of their possessions. They score at a very high rate. Laka come on and tell us number one in offensive efficiency by a wide margin. So if you want to run, get stops because you're going to score. So the only difference is you're going to get the ten points. Is it going to be ten to eight, ten to two, or ten nothing? Nobody runs anymore, though. Teams run against the Jazz. No, they run to the three-point line. Yes, I agree. But that's, but that's still running. That still a transition three. Okay, a transition three is different than running. Bogey running, it changed the game right before running halftime. Implies fast break. Nobody. It is a fast break, but it is at the three-point line, not, not fast, at the rim. That's not a break. <laughs> You're just like Magic's Lakers, and <laughs> they're not on. changing. That's not a Bogey, fast break. Bogey hit three threes in like the last three minutes of the first half. They're up six, and it's because Bogey caught fire. He, he shot the ball very well in that game. Sure. Seven of 11. Great, but I think they can. They have the capability of doing that, taking the ball out of the basket after a score. That's just not what you want to do because that means the other team scored. This team is so prolific offensively, it could beat you in the half court. It can beat you in the new version of the break. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Your feedback's coming up next. Stay with us. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. Guys, Miki Couture wants to help you out this holiday season with the perfect gift. Stop by any location from Ogden to St. George today. Mention Zone 50 and save 50%. Guys, it's a no-brainer. Get in today, save 50%, and get the best gift ever from Minky Couture. Time for your feedback. So, question of the day. How about the Jazz signing Danny Ainge as an alternate governor and CEO? And Clint says, who gives a bleep? It's a made-up position. He'll have nothing to do with trades and the real day-to-day operations of the Jazz. Ooh. That sounds harsh. <laughs> I think he'll have Are something to sure do. Are we sure about that? I'm not. I think exactly the opposite. I think he will have something to say about trades. The fact is, he's a confidant. Yes. Agreed. Boss. Right. And he will have a say. What I believe is I believe that he doesn't want to work those 14, 16-hour days, whatever the numbers were he threw out there. What he doesn't want to do is be on a plane flying from one college game to another to see a bunch of potential uh, draft picks. Yeah, see, I think that's in his blood, though. He'll do some of it. I can't tell you spots. the number of times I've, t- I've spoken to him on the road. Right. But you don't think he'll pick his spots? I think he always picked his spots. Mm. I-, I think it's... I See, to me, if he was just going to be some casual consultant, you don't name him CEO, an alternate governor. Those titles, I thought, were a little bit bigger than I anticipated him having on this team and that's the role he's going to have so i think that there's something to it more than i thought i don't think he's looking to be the point guy you want to discuss a trade you got some question about the jazz you call jay-z he's your guy and then we'll go from there but how much say when it's time to sign a free agent to make a draft pick to make a trade he's in the room and his voice will carry weight i believe that 100 percent yeah I also don't think he's going to be looking to get in any power struggles. Now, I could be wrong, but this is my, and I've known the guy for a long time. We're not buddies by any stretch. I've talked to him on the phone a couple times, um, when his, especially when his kid was playing, Austin was playing at BYU. I saw him a lot then because he'd managed to work scouting trips around their games, and I was a beat writer for the Watchdog at that time. Uh, so I, I think that he feels like 
this is this is a good spot for him to ride out however long he wants to be. See, he's going to be more than Kevin O'Connor. Kevin O'Connor, when you broke the news, and you broke it, dog. That was your big claim to fame. You broke that he was done as the full-time GM, even though there were denials. And so he's come in from time to time as a consultant and probably on the phone stuff we don't know about. My instinct, again, could be wrong, but my instinct mean, t- says me tells me he'll be more than what Kevin was. But he's not looking to take over Jay-Z's gig. There's a couple ways this can go, and it's probably more nuanced than that, but for the purposes of radio, we'll go with two. And this isn't just the, this situation with the Jazz. This is any situation with any boss and any line of work. There's the boss who says, you do all the work, you gather all the info, but I'm going to help make the decision, and if you can talk me into it, we'll do your way, but 90% of the time, we're doing what I think. And then there's the boss who says- well, Kind of like how we run the show. Gather yeah, all the I info. That's what you tell me, yes. Gather all the info. <laughs> We'll make a decision together. If we don't, you know what? I'm going to give you a little room on this. You'll make it. But I will remember the decision you make, and we'll see if it plays out, and we'll act accordingly from that. I don't know that I would say, I will remember. (laughs) It's understood. Okay. Well, there's probably some bosses who will blurt it out. I'm sure somebody can cite some boss out there. But everybody's keeping track. It's certainly the NBA. We've had multiple people, Kevin O'Connor, Dennis Lindsay, have both told us that Hey, you go back three years after a draft, you redraft the draft and yeah, hold yeah. everybody accountable and figure out what were our no, blind we spots. We can do that. Right. I always look at it for myself, and I was the youngest in my family, so I was always around older people, older by several years, I might add, because mm-hmm. my sisters are substantially older than me. What, eight, and, 10, 15? Uh, like 9, 11. 9, 11 yeah, years. Yeah. Okay. And um, so I look at it. So I've got like four or five people that I can really trust, you being one of them. And if... The people that I trust, say, I'm, whatever the situation, you know, I'm probably not going to go to you much in a personal situation, but in a job situation, like Ian Furness, I'll give you an example, where I was debating whether to go. Keep the brand together. And he was driving from Seattle to Portland or vice versa. Uh-huh. And after about the 15th time of, <laughs> keep the brand, keep the brand, and I'm still going, oh, yeah, yeah, but yeah, but yeah, he says to me, are you stupid? <laughs> <laughs> I love you. <laughs> I already gave you the answer. Keep the brand. So I said to him, So let's just take a time. moment publicly to say, thank you, Ian. Yeah, and he said that. So if I've got somebody, a confidant close to me, who insists this is the way it should be, and I know they don't have a personal agenda, that they have an agenda that's best for what we're after, I listen to them. Because they're probably right. And I'm probably, I, I'm not sure, or I'm wrong. Those are my two options. So I go with, and I've been in a situation with you a few times. No, this is the way it's going to be. And you say it. by your phone. You say, well, there's multiple times (laughs) that that I can go through the years. And you say it in a manner that this is what, and you're so sure of it that I sit back and say, hey, wait a second, man. That's a strong feeling. I seriously need to consider that. And I think that's the way this is going to go. A lot of people, I always say the rivalry in all things, a lot of people don't like the Ainge move, and it's Utes and Cougars. It's got nothing to do with Jazz and Celtics or the experience he got, Suns, Kings, Blazers, when he was playing. (laughs) There's one from Monty Python, the woman. Boo! So that'll be held against him forever? Absolutely, 100%. And then there's one here with the doll getting sick. That's disgusting. (laughs) 
Uh, Even though man. that has nothing to do with anything, the rivalry well, and all do, things. Do you, uh, wait a second, though. But you, uh, you don't like the Jazz then, because the Jazz owner is a BYU dude. Probably some people trying to get over that right now. <laughs> there has been a little bit of that. <laughs> I'm over it. He, he didn't know buy the are, team to win for BYU. I get that, and you and I didn't grow up at the bus stop with you know, taunting back and forth, so it just doesn't hit us the same way as people okay. who literally argued about it Antonio over the dinner Pierce table. Antonio Pierce is their defensive coordinator for the Devils. He went to the U of A. Yeah. Who cares? You're over it. Not everybody is. <laughs> Bill says, how is, how is Danny defending Biggs at the three-point line? He's all about what's going on on the court. Travis, maybe he can convince G-Money to come back. <laughs> and Zachary, hey, you are what your record says you are, and he says the Jazz are 1-0 in the Ainge CEO era. They're undefeated. <laughs> see? <laughs> All right, we're out of time. Jacob Better coming up next. We will see you tomorrow right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone.